This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hey, business storytellers, it's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Thanks for joining us another live stream and we have another one coming up in about an hour so if you want to tune in for that one you can and if you're listening on any of the podcast channels please feel free to connect with me on twitter or linkedin or youtube or twitch even though i can't tell you what my name is on there but connect with me anywhere you can be notified of these live streams uh, when they happen today's topic we want to talk about tim ash's new book tim is still in our comfortable green room and of course as you know people it's hard for people to come out of there they're so comfortable here in switcher studio haha <laughs> we're all remote of course switcher studio just a quick reminder trap one if you want to use it to produce your podcasts that gets you a month off uh, or maybe 10 percent off something like that check it out use the code uh, it's on the screen here switcherstudio.com we had a great discussion yesterday with the crew at switcher how do you produce these shows live streaming. So Tim, I ran across him uh, quite a while ago. I'm not allowed to say long time anymore. When Mark Schaefer was on the show, he told me that just means we're both old. So I'm not saying that anymore and I'll just talk about it. But Tim's new book, Unleash Your Primal Brain, Demystifying How We Think and Why We Act. And that's always an interesting topic, of course, because the performance culture that we're in it's getting harder and harder and harder and we have to be aware of what we're doing and what we're not doing so let's get tim on the show here out of the comfy green room (laughs) color coordinator both of us blue shirts happy thursday hey christoph great to be here i'm glad you got the blue shirt memo as well as the shave your head memo okay so we're all set we didn't have any uh problems with our hair today so that's that's good at least (laughs) So, Tim, tell us about the, the latest book. What prompts you to write it? What's the need out in the market? And uh, let's dive in. What, what's, uh, what's important for people to know? Yeah, well, as you probably know, I'm uh, a bit of an expert in conversion rate optimization, making websites more efficient, uh, ran the Site Tuners Agency for almost 20 years, and we created $1.2 billion in value for clients like Nestle and Google and Facebook and other leading companies uh, in the world. And uh, you can't fake conversion rate optimization. Either somebody gets to your website and acts or they don't. So this stuff really works. And most of that monetary gain I was talking about was based on effective evolutionary psychology, these durable principles. And one of the things that I found, though, is that some of our clients didn't really do that ethically. Um, I'm sure it's no big surprise, but big companies and governments, uh, a lot of players in our society right now are taking advantage of us. It's whether it's AI algorithms or behavioral scientists, we're being manipulated right and left. And I don't think it's to our benefit. So my real goal with writing the new book, Unleash Your Primal Brain, was to kind of level the playing field, to describe how our brains really work from an evolutionary psychology perspective, make that accessible to a wide audience. So we're not bringing the proverbial knife to the gunfight anymore against these big companies that are actively manipulating us. 
Well, I see that we'll keep going down this road of telling people how old we are because bringing that knife to the gunfight, that's certainly a 1990s reference. Oh, uh, ouch. Right? Isn't it? <laughs> Is it uh, I don't know. It? I think it's kind of a, a cowboy uh, <laughs> old west reference. So, yeah, it's even older than that. I think it's pretty old, but I, I think it maybe it might have been a, a Tupac song or something. I don't I don't know. Uh, something <laughs> like that. But I, that's that's okay. I'm not I'm not afraid of my age. So, you know, what's interesting about the whole unethical thing, I mean, uh, there is so many meetings that are going on out there, right? How do we get people to do it? How do we have the better mousetrap? How do we do whatever? And, how, you know, like, how do we get you to pay quickly before you even realize? But at the end of the day, that's not going to build any relationships, right? Because I might buy from you once accidentally, and then I'm going to go argue with my credit card company to get that charge taken off anyways, which, by the way, if you guys pay with credit card, that's that's how you do it. It's not that difficult. Um, I was, um, you know, of course, you were uh, impacted by COVID, totally going off on a tangent here for a second, uh, Tim. But, um, you know, I was supposed to speak at the uh, Omar conference in Hamburg, Germany, and some of the German um, traffic systems or the, the, the train system, I guess, they didn't pay me back my my uh, my ticket, right, because I couldn't go. And my credit card company just took care of it. So at the end of the day, it's not a good user experience when you're not being ethical, when you trick people or when you're not being helpful. So what are the yeah. things you're talking about there? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's more subtle than that, though. I mean, it's it's algorithms, it's bias in terms of our decision making. It's the echo chamber on social media that's destroying any notion of a participatory democracy because we each have our own individual reality and no common ground anymore. So um, it's more nefarious than that. So I guess my goal is to say, hey, here's the whole arc of evolution. Here's what we picked up along the way. And this is, uh, it will give you a better understanding of yourself. And the book isn't strictly for marketers, although you can mine it deeply for that. It'll help any business person, uh, leadership, persuasion, of course, sales, marketing, but also relationships, tribes, culture, um, and and self-help and personal development, everything from how we learn, the purpose of memory, whether happiness is worth chasing. It's all in the book uh, in a very non-scientific, easy-to-read way. Uh, but I think, you know, focusing it on the marketing and the ethics of manipulation, you know, my goal is to at least say, this is what they're doing to you. Maybe you can take it into better account so you at least see it coming. I mean, the own realities, I mean, that is so true today. We all live in social media and, you know, it's like, oh, this is the reality. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's just, it's a very interesting. So are we talking about in the book, is it about um, how we used to have to behave, like when we were cavemen or do you know what I mean? Like the, the well, rate it, of survival? It goes back even further than that, way further. Mm -hmm. So I'm tracing the whole evolutionary arc. Basically, if you want to understand where people are today, we picked up things along the way from uh, more ancient forms of life and the stuff that worked, we kept. So when people, for example, talk about dopamine, oh, that's about rewards and anticipation and those you know, three blinking dots when you're waiting for a reply for, on your instant messenger. Yeah, that's true. But that's not some big human innovation. We share that with fruit flies and going back several <laughs> hundred million of years. So to say that's a human thing is ridiculous, but it's still in there. So I'm talking about basic brain chemistry, the reptilian stuff, the mammalian stuff, and what also makes us uniquely and bizarrely human. So I think the only way to understand ourselves is to retrace that evolutionary arc. 
And and how do we? Uh, I mean, first of all, so the whole dopamine thing, right? I mean, I'm okay. very very aware of that because it's like, okay, who's emailing me? Who's emailing me? And so I actually have done a, I would say, a nice job to manage that, right? To not live live and die by emails I'm getting, or you know what I mean? Your blood pressure goes up because somebody emails you, and uh, this offer is only valid for. The next, the next 10 minutes, seconds, the next 10 <laughs> seconds, even though I, I will tell you this, Tim, I, my 12 year old plays softball and basketball and we had to go to Dick's yesterday and I had to take a basketball bag. It was the wrong one. Maybe it was a guy's basketball and I don't know, something like that. And they gave me a coupon for $10 off in the next three hours, which I thought if I'm not buying anything else, it's, that's kind of pushy, right? But I was going to buy yeah. something else anyways. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So it also depends on, on the timing, right? Was I leaving? I would have been like, oh, now I got to spend 50 bucks to save 10. But of course, I wouldn't have saved 10. I would have spent 40, right? Um, just simple math here. But so talk about um, how do we manage these things? So we have, of course, mm. there, there's two yeah. sides, right? There's the consumer side. And then there's the marketer side. How, how can the consumers manage them? And then how can the marketer use them ethically? Yeah, well, a great point that you bring up the word ethical. I think that's really important. So from the consumer side, um, I think that there's several different brain chemicals that I'll call them the happy chemicals that we get in short bursts to move us towards survival goals. And it's important to understand it's not something you can necessarily turn off or manage to a great degree. You should just see how they operate so you can have a little bit more realistic view of things. So uh, dopamine in particular, the evolutionary reason for it is to meter out our expenditure of energy is out of all the available options in front of us, what's worth expending energy to follow? It's the little drip, drip, drip of motivation to get to your goal. Another important function of it though is to adjust our model of the world. So if there's a big failure, if we have an oh shit result and we get something we didn't expect, we need to instantly update our model. And dopamine does that as well. So if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning and your model's not getting updated. It's only repeated failure that we turn into a better model of the world. So that's another important evolutionary reason for the dopamine. Uh, as far as the ethics of the, the marketers themselves, I think this is a huge issue. Um, you know, one time we had a client that had a lead generation form on their website and was an in insurance. And so they were required to have a disclaimer above the call to action, so above the button. And so they had us put the, that disclaimer in the header of the page at the very top of the screen. So yeah, it was technically above the button, but it wasn't exactly proximal to it and it wasn't being considered before you press the button. So that's definitely stepping into a gray area and over the line as far as I'm concerned. So I think as marketers, we need to be super clear about our ethics and where to draw those lines and push back on people that are just demanding profit at any cost and performance at any cost within our organization. But pushing back is hard, right? I mean, I mean, because people do that. And I mean, people put say, you know, uh, how do we how do we meet these goals? And I, I just, 
I'll give you this example. Pressure does work, right? Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. Uh, and there was actually a company that I was trying to work with, and I really considered them. But you know what they were doing? They kept calling me nonstop. In fact, I blocked their number. But and, and it was the end of the month. You know, it's again, the end of the month is coming up here. So probably I'm getting calls again soon because they got to meet their quota or whatever. But why do I why do I care about their quota? I care about my problems, right? I don't care about their right. problems. But they're just they're hammering me. And at some point, you know, I either give in or um, I'm, I'm, I don't know, block their number, I guess. That's what I do today. Yeah, but there's still a fire hose of other things impinging on you and coming your way. So I think that, um, again, I don't, we can't, yes, it's hard to push back, but the destruction of our society, of our countries, of our very planet, I believe, is not going to be an obvious thing. It's just going to be neglect. Um, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. And there's a, I forget who said it, but basically for evil to triumph, the only thing required is for people of goodwill to do nothing. And so I think it's our individual actions every day and it's our decisions and it's being conscious and intentional about that. Of what's the effect on the world that we're co-creating with others? So I, I don't think we have to we can give up that responsibility ultimately. And so in, in your book, you talk about the lie of rationality. Uh, let's mm -hmm. talk about that. Um, what does that refer to? Well, th that's chapter one. Uh, as you probably know, Descartes back in the 1700s said, I think, therefore I am, or I think, therefore I exist. And we're all his philosophical grandchildren in a way, because, well, even since Socrates' day, for 2,000 years, we've been talking about how the thing that makes us different is our rational minds. And if we could only tame those animal passions surging underneath, then we'd have a perfect world. And that's actually not the case. In fact, people can't make decisions with the rational, conscious part of the mind. All decisions are emotional. And I mean that literally. There have been studies of people have had various kinds of brain damage and they can't connect the two. You cannot decide without emotion. So imagine your conscious mind gives you a bunch of options, um, hundreds or thousands of options potentially, and your emotions almost instantly narrow that to a choice of what you're going to act on. And emotions can be positive or negative. You know, you either hate it or you love it. You go towards it or away from pain and, and so on. But without emotions, you really can't decide. And that subconscious and automatic machinery is what's running the show. And to pretend that we control it is, is a big comforting lie, basically. A big comforting lie. So, but let's talk about B2. So I can kind of, I can see that when it comes to like a B2C purchase, right? I'm sitting on my couch and, uh, oh my goodness, I need a new pair of shoes. Why? I don't even have a pair of shoes on, um, sitting on my couch. Oh, but I do need one. They look nice. You know, I guess that's emotion. But, but when it comes to B2B purchases and you have these big, big, committee meetings and purchasing committees or whatever. How does emotion usually show in that environment? Well, I'm just going to question your whole premise because I think it's bullshit, frankly. Um, <laughs> I don't, what we're trying to influence is the human brain. So this uh -huh. distinction between B2B and B2C is completely artificial. You're sitting there and yes, it's a more complicated decision in B2B, but you're sitting there and you're thinking, uh, what's the personal impact on me? And then you're thinking, what's the organizational impact and how is that going to blow back on me, right? 
So yeah, it's not picking out red high heeled shoes or whatever, but at the same time, you're thinking, what's the impact on my career? What if this goes sideways? What if that technology doesn't work? What if my company goes bankrupt? What if my colleagues hate me for putting extra work on their plate as a result of it or whatever? Those are all still human and emotional decisions you're think not even thinking through, but sifting through automatically behind the scenes. So we have one brain, and that's what we as marketers are trying to influence. Now we got a real talk show going here. Tim Ash joins me today. <laughs> Call in my, uh, my comment. What was it again? Bulls, bull Bullshit. Crap. Bullshit. Beep. Now I have to put the E on the, uh, on the podcast episodes. I love it. So I certainly, uh, I, I mean, I agree with the whole P2P thing, honestly, uh, H2H, whatever. We're all people. And what's interesting, as you were just talking, you're talking about these people, they think about all those different things. And I think some of that was a very, very nice of you, right? Because as one person really thinking about, oh, are my employee, are my team members going to be upset with me? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? I think a lot of people just sit there and go, oh my God, this new program blows. Why? Uh, I don't want it. I'm going to argue against it. And uh, again, that is, I guess, a, a primal instinct. Absolutely. In fact, we're the most highly social of all mammals. Uh, we form close groups of about 100 to 200 people or organisms or our herd size, if you will. And we can have intimate knowledge of all of them. So I, actually another uh, myth of about the brain is that it's for doing computational stuff. You know, two plus two is four and building microwave ovens and sp sending spaceships to the moon. That's not what it's for. Unless we're doing a computational or reasoning task, our mind automatically, and I mean within a fraction of a second, defaults to social reasoning and social modeling. So we're doing exactly that with the neocortex. We're saying, oh, Christoph, if I swear on your podcast, then if I ask you to recommend me to this other podcast host whom you know, and you're not going to be willing to do that, that'll have an impact on me. You know, so it's for those kind of reasoning uh, <clears throat> abilities to update our standing in the social tribe and to model the consequences of our actions so we can minimize social pain. Well, I hate to say it, Tim, but you, you missed that boat. I mean, you already swore too late now. <laughs> on the show. Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. Totally fine. We'll recommend you. Plus, it doesn't look like you're too and too bad being on, on podcasts out there. Um, so let's talk about, um, we talk monkey see, monkey do, and sexy apes. What are sexy right. apes? What does that have to do with anything? Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're very um, understanding our sexuality and gender differences. This might be one of the more controversial uh, chapters mm -hmm. in my book. Uh, but I think that it's, it's important. Um, a lot of people, for example, uh, think about... Um, both men and women have sexual signaling and we do it differently. And the things that men find attractive, for example, are universal. Um, you know, so people say, well, you know, women are trying to squeeze themselves into the traditional hourglass figure and stuff. Turns out genetically the waist to hip ratio, which we need to give birth to big headed giant bowling ball headed babies is a universal sign of attraction. And people say that's a cultural bias. Turns out even blind men prefer a certain waist to hip ratio. So it's not a cultural bias. It's a built-in biological thing. But you say things like that and people seem to get kind of upset in my experience. 
Um, another thing is about our monogamy and whether we're monogamous creatures. Uh, only about 4% of mammals are. We're not in that category either. And um, uh, again, you put all the cultural overlays on top of it and moralistic stuff and religion and social conventions. Uh, but it turns out that we're, we're not as promiscuous as our bonobo cousins, but we're definitely not lifelong monogamous either. So we're mating opportunists, I would say. Everyone wants to move their content from happening to performing, and it's possible. Check out my latest book with the latest tips and tricks and advice on how to establish that content performance culture. It's possible. The book is available at contentperformance.online. I mean, but what does that have to do with business? I mean, how do we, like, how do we, knowing that? All right, I'll that give you a perfect me? example. Um, yeah. This is not true of women, but it's definitely true of men. In the presence of attractive women or even images of them, men become risk takers hmm. because we see that as a mating opportunity. The, the prospect, oh, here's an attractive woman. And even if it's a magazine photo or a video or something like that, uh, or the physical presence, uh, we kind of, uh, we're on high alert because the most high stakes evolutionary event we have is the ability to propagate our genes. It's like an all or nothing deal. Life stops if your genes don't continue. So we're willing to take on a lot of risk and we become um, less rational, if you want to think about it, uh, more willing to take chances and um, do things against our best interests in the presence of these kind of sexual stimuli, if you will. So there's a reason that, you know, you have the, like the car with the babe in the bikini on it. I mean, that, that's just, we can't resist that as men. And so w when you talk about that, how do people react to those comments? Like, I mean, I, strong reactions, people just... Uh, well, I'm, I'm just trying to explain the evolutionary reason yeah. for this stuff. And, and then people put their own cultural overlays on top of it. They're listening to it with their own filters, their own preconceptions. I'm just saying this at the animal level, this is how we're wired. And that, that's not really in dispute uh, unless yeah. you really want to be ignorant. And so you can try to override it with cultural uh, beliefs. And uh, that's also a very strong part of our nature is being tribal. Uh, we can talk about that or, or storytelling if you want, uh, but uh, that doesn't change what's underneath it. So I, I, let's talk about those things in a minute, the, the, the hurt mentality and, and, and storytelling. Of course, we talk about that uh, on the show all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. This the business storytelling podcast. It's right in the name even. Um, but but the but the book, right, it can really help you understand why you do certain things, I guess. And then how do you manage them? I mean, is that kind of the point of uh, why I would uh, read it? Absolutely. I think it gives you self-knowledge. And again, it could help you improve in business, uh, better relationships in terms of your tribe or even intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot of the uh, the stuff I talk about is great for, I guess you'd call personal development the need for sleep, how we remember things, um, uh, what constitutes uh, fulfilling, meaningful, and in, um, empowering social relationships and uh, the social support we need. So uh, it helps you understand yourself. This book is really kind of a, the basic operating system for human beings and what all 8 billion of us on the planet have in common. 
So that's really the, maybe the best way to describe it and its, and its usefulness. And it's written in a very engaging, non-scientific language, as you know, and uh, you know, very easy to read. No footnotes, no jargon, uh, just the essentials. That's, that's always good, no jargon. And you know, one thing I've learned over the years is how to manage certain characteristics and personalities. So I'll give you an example here. Um, this is actually, and you can check this out, everybody, on AuthenticStorytelling.net, the predictive index, right? So I took that, and it says, um, Christoph, you're a maverick, out-of-the-box out thinker, and tend to be undaunted by failure, natural-born leader who challenges the status quo and prefer to do things <laughs> your own way. And then it talks about strengths, common drivers, blind spots. And the blind yep. spots, right, they are technical work, limited attention to detail, delegates with loose follow-up, many <laughs> may appear tough-minded. And what's interesting yeah, you're, you're my you're my brother from another mother, by the way. Before I got on this show, I pulled you up on LinkedIn and I looked at your crystal sidebar that I have from Crystal Nose. Yeah. And we're both on the disc higher uh, wheel. We're both high drive, high influence. So like I know how to relate to you because I have the same blind spots. So talk about that. So what what's the crystal bar? Uh, it's, it's a, the website is crystal nose crystal is in the glass, uh, crystal nose.com. And you, you can, it runs inside of your Chrome browser as a sidebar on LinkedIn. And whenever you pull up someone's LinkedIn profile, it basically tells you their disc profile and how to interact with them. Oh it's my. awesome. It's like, oh, it's, it's, it's like, if you deal with people you don't know frequently, it's like x-ray vision for other people's personalities, as long as they have some Stuff that can be scraped by the AI text recognition on their profile works pretty well. And it looks like you can sign up for free. There you go. I should send you my affiliate link, though. <laughs> send, send it on over. Share it right here if you have it, unless it's a link. CrystalNose.com. I have to check it out. So does this, totally off topic now, but does this work when, like, because people are, t like, I'm very talkative, right? Is that why it works? Or, like, does it work for uh, people well, who don't no, they, share they, they're doing text recognition, so they're looking at the titles you had, the words you're using to, in the profile, and from that, they can form this kind of behavioral analysis. The DISC profile, D-I-S-C, is a behavioral profile, so it's not trying to say what your right. personality is. It's more uh, externally validated in the sense of this is how you behave. Are you more um, dominant or passive? Are you more, um, I guess, kind of analytical or quick acting those are the dimensions essentially and and uh how how you relate to other people so yeah. anyway it's a great tool it's it's the one that i universally recommend to anyone in sales and marketing yeah very interesting so what, where i was going with sharing all these things about me before you already told everybody that you knew everything about me um is <laughs> delegates with loose follow-up and that's that it's actually very true um, and that shows by me sending a follow-up at 2 in the morning if I don't use a project management tool, right, like Basecamp or whatever, mm -hmm. Salesforce, doesn't make any difference what the, the tool is. Um, but again, I know how to manage it. And if I don't manage it, you will hear from me at 1.30 when I'm waking up in, in uh, sweat in my bed, remembering that I have not emailed Tim about the project we're working on. <laughs> so... Um, so let's talk, so it's about managing, you know, uh, how we are, who we are, what we do. Uh, so let's talk about the herd mentality. Why, why is that important? Well, the, so the herd mentality we got from our mammalian cousins. So the shrews that were running around between the legs of the dinosaurs, we share stuff in common with them. So think of life as the reptilian ones, uh, fish, 
reptiles, you know, lay 500 million eggs and hope a few of them survive, right? But you're not going to care for 500 million young. Whereas mammals, we care much more about our individual offspring. We're weaker individually. So we find that uh, being in a herd is more powerful. Uh, but being in a herd presents its own challenges, like how to be at the top of the heap, how to be the alpha uh, male or female and not get all of the scraps. And uh, because if you're a herd animal and you're on the periphery or you're ostracized and cut out of the herd, you're dead. It's very hard for a herd animal to survive by itself. And then on top of that, human beings, we have this uh, very bizarre evolutionary advantage, which is transmitting culture. That's what we placed our big bet on and uh, from an evolutionary standpoint. And to do that, we have to be very cooperative and we have to spread information inside of our tribe effectively. And that uh, means there's a lot of implications that have whole chapters on culture. Uh, but essentially, we have to be, be mimic others, spread um, cultural norms and knowledge without changing them, blind faith, if you will, and also be willing to teach others. There's a pay it backward kind of mentoring thing that other animals don't have. They have the dominant stuff, but they don't have the payoff, the psychological payoff from actually mentoring people and paying it backward. And the paying forward thing, that's partially some of these uh, salespeople and marketers, right? Uh, when they reach out to us, that's kind of what they're banking on. Hey, I have this I want to share with you. Um, or like, you know, I love mm. your content or I love your book or I love. You. Hey, Christoph, I love your podcast. Can we be on eight episodes? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like well, actually, that's a, that, that's a great point. There's, so there's this, uh, because we're so cooperative and we evolve for that, reciprocity and gift giving is a huge thing. So if someone gives you a gift, be super clear about it. From an evolutionary standpoint, it would all break down unless you were compelled to give them something of greater or at least equal, but usually greater value back. So someone giving you a gift is obligating you. Like if you're in the airport, you know, pre-COVID and there's Hare Krishnas and they say, here, sir, have this paper flower. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, thank you. It's nice. And they say, do you have any spare change? Well, whatever that 50 cents you gave them costs more than the two cents that it cost them to make that flower for you. So they're <laughs> putting an obligation on you. And it's very hard for us as social beings to say, no, screw you. I'm not going to return the obligation. People don't do that. That's why some of those things work. Um, but mm -hmm. but but it's a fine line. How do you know people are just um, uh, manipulating you as opposed to there being good people? You, you don't. In fact, we're susceptible to flattery and gift giving. And uh, that's again, we're the default is for us to be cooperative. The default is for, for us to be pro-social and to trust other people. There's some people that malignant narcissists who may be running large countries at the moment, for example, that can operate outside of those social norms and take advantage of it. But most of us can't do that without paying a very heavy emotional internal price. Yeah, very, very interesting. So, of course, you can check out um, Tim's book. Um, it's a, What's the website again where people can find uh, it? There it is. Primalbrain.com. It's uh, pretty easy to find. So unleash your primal brain primalbrain.com. And if you're interested in my uh, keynote speaking or um, digital marketing consulting, that's just at timash.com. So pretty easy to find there too. So how do you currently do a keynote? 
virtually. I actually I'm doing more virtual events than I was doing live stuff. Um, although I missed the travel, I was supposed to be in my home city of Moscow in April and um, uh, Brazil in August. I was supposed to be on would have been my biggest stage in front of seventeen thousand people. You, you can't replace that stuff with a Zoom meeting. No, absolutely not. And and I also missed the travel, and and it was kind of interesting. Um, I'm speaking in. Uh, at an Istanbul conference here. I don't know if I have the, I still have it here. I can maybe share it with everybody when it is. Um, the the graphic on the screen here, whoa, there's just too much going on, Tim. Um, but they emailed me and they said, there it is, third content marketing summit. And they emailed me and they said, you don't have to come to Istanbul anymore. And I said, what do you mean? I don't have to. It's not about <laughs> having to. I I kind of wanted to, you know. So yeah, I wanted to see the Sophia mosque. It's not <laughs> like it was a big chore, right, to show up. So I um so things certainly have changed. Uh, and I have you? Uh, do you enjoy virtual events? I have. I've had mixed feelings. I mean, I like these podcast recordings and live streams. You have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. In fact, it's kind of nice. Honestly, this is like the only time I talk to real people. <laughs> you know, outside of projects. But uh, I mean, have you seen uh, virtual events work? What's has, what has been the success if they have? Oh, well, I think a key is there, there are two keys. Uh, most of our communication is not the words or the content that we say. It's really the body language and the tone mm -hmm. of voice. So I think video is incredibly important and back and forth. But then you have to figure out how to control group size and dynamics. You can't have 30 people on a zoom grid of you know right. brady bunch style and everybody's talking over each other that doesn't work um i think that being interactive and trying to inject the personal live component to it is important which is why live events and recordings like this are very effective uh, but you you just can't replace the physicality and the uh, you know we're still parked in our chairs eight hours a day doing these zoom meetings and virtual events and that that gets old for a lot of people as well actually going somewhere and unplugging and interacting with people uh, there's no substitute for that there's no substitute getting to the airport getting the upgrade flying in the first row <laughs> to london heathrow and then hopping over to a conference and having that german beer in berlin for example <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Genau. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Tim, it was great to have you on the show. Thanks for sharing your insights. And, uh, you know, hopefully people can take some of these tips and check out the book and, uh, and, and manage, you know, uh, some of the things that might not work as well today as they did. Who knows how many years ago? <laughs> Absolutely. It was my pleasure, Christoph. A lot of fun. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. And just a reminder, if you are listening on the podcast channels, make sure you tune into the live streams as well. They're about a month month before they come on the podcast channel. C-Trap, uh, Christoph Trap over on LinkedIn. Thanks, everyone. Until next time.